0: Three, two, oh, one, it. go. And we're I, going live. I feel like I'm getting ready to play Dance Dance Revolution. Like whatever. <laughs> now. There's like no that. music. There's no
1: intro. What, what's going no, on? We, dance, no, dance, we're just dance. we just started streaming. I still get This is action. the banter. This is the pre-show banter. Can I request a, an article? Because I think it's one of the coolest ones recently. Sure. So there's a print um, there. No. <laughs> <laughs> just get a gift going.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is John Strand, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of BHIS Talking About Infosec News, which someday we're going to come up with a better title, but not today. (laughs) In this particular episode, we're going to continue to have an ongoing conversation that we've had here about talking about news, about how everything's broken, and it looks like it's going to be bad for the foreseeable future, unless you're in the computer security industry, at which point, hey, job security, everything is wonderful. I am joined by our cast of characters that we see all the time. I've got Ryan. Mr. Rare, the Shootist, is, as always, making this come across far better than it ever should. We're also joined by Dale, who, for, like, things like lumber and all the crazy things going on in the United States, always is like, I don't understand because I'm from Canada. Eh?
2: He's also um, sorry.
0: We got Max. He doesn't say <laughs> A at all. That's that's a total horrible, like, overgeneralization of Canadians everywhere. They Take it way too seriously. They, okay, never mind. Uh, we're also joined by Max out of Germany. Max, what time is it for you right now?
3: Uh, it's uh, quarter to eleven. There Even. you go.
0: So he doesn't sleep, and that's just a little preview of what it's like to work at Black Hills Information Security, folks. <laughs> um, Steve, it's too late.
4: Um, no, it's no. <laughs> <he's> too late.
0: <laughs> joined like today, and he's finding out. He's like, my God, John makes that Max guy work until eleven. Um, we have Rob, who managed to escape from Black Hills Information Security, and Ralph, who is clearly mining Bitcoin in the background. Um, so everybody, do. we've got some stories today. And Rob, I want to kick it over to you because I haven't seen you in a while. And i I'm <laughs> geeking out over this fail-to-ban story where fail-to-ban is one of those security tools. I, I think you would agree. Almost anybody you talk to is like, you should totally run fail-to-ban to stop certain types of attacks. And that's great. Right up until
1: it gives you root. Until it gives you root for the attacker.
0: So instead of an attacker trying to guess what the user ID is and password and getting stopped, they can just get root. So can you walk (laughs) us through this vulnerability and what this is actually doing?
1: Sure. So, Fail to Ban actually has functionality where they not only bans the IP based on uh, like multiple attempts to log in but it also alerts you when it does this right and and you can configure these alerts in different ways and one of the ways is to mail you send you a mail email and multiple times you want to kind of know as much information as you as you can about like the IP and the host or, or the user that's trying to you know log in and so by I think by default it might not not sure if it's default, but it's very easy to configure and and very common to configure mail who is as well to configure it so that you get the who is information along with the data. And so there's actually a problem where you can send an unescaped sequence of characters through where you can get direct code execution in it. And yeah, that red, that green part <laughs> versus the red part. And so. With fail essentially what's going to go is that you will send, if you control, if an attacker controls an IP space, and I want to talk about that a little bit later, but like, if, if you control an IP space where you can control the, who is information in that IP space, you can then add the, who is information into your configuration and, and hit the system a bunch of times and say, let me in, let me in, let me in. It sends the email off that it blocked and runs the command. And so, yes, you have to own some IP space. Where that gets interesting is when you talk about owning the IP space internally. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you have post exploitation when you're inside of a network and there's failed ban on other systems on the network, you actually control your own IP space because Microsoft DNS, because it's always DNS, allows you to configure those ranges if you, or, or your particular IP, if you have internal access as an authenticated user. So this is amazing externally, right? Failure bands everywhere, everywhere. But think about this internally as well, because the who is information internally can be configured as well. Now, this is
0: this is interesting for a, a couple of reasons, one, I like the fact that it's using printf, uh, which whenever we talk about format string vulnerabilities, I get to talk about printf and snprintf. Correct me if I'm wrong, this is is running a whois, and then it's pulling the results of that whois, and then that's what the attacker has control over, and then they can escape and then do code execution. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. so it's basically kind of receiving unsanitized input that is not being bounce checked correctly and saying, look, this is a string, don't try to execute this. And it's, it's allowing it to split off fork and then do that code execution because it's running fail to ban. Because fail to ban has, has the ability to get into net filter, it has to run as root. So you have something that's running as root, taking unsanitized input in the form of a who is result, and then executing it. So it's just like all kinds of bad things queued up here.
1: Yes and while like you owning an ip space to configure who is externally is not as easy as it used to be you can still do it with some some um, virtual providers i forget the vcp or b whatever bps bps allow you to configure specific space depending on how much uh, more enterprise level but like how much ip space you take from them you can start to configure who is information on that too so it's not impossible but you do have to be able to configure that who is information wow
0: basically the solution to this is patch right i mean the the code like yeah. you saw the red and the green it's been fixed it's a little bit concerning with using printf instead of sn printf but that's okay it, <laughs> it's, but, it, but, it, but it's concerning I, whenever you talk about it on the inside of the network because i can see a lot of organizations saying well we patched on the outside so we're good we don't have to worry about the inside as much because things on the inside don't get updated all that often at all.
2: They you yeah never get attacked actually ever. What's that? No, I, I'm going. <laughs> no, I was saying they never get attacked. Nothing on the internal, right? That's like it's always the sweet goo- gooey center. So
0: yeah, I, I think that that's been one of the themes, especially with all the ransomware that's been happening. I mean, we're seeing time and time again. Every time I say that, I want to start quoting. You know, Blue Oyster Cult history shows again and again, how nature shows the folly of men or something like that, how organizations just are doing horrible security at trying to secure the inside of their environments. And I, mm-hmm. this is probably going to be no exception whatsoever.
1: So cool. can I, can I ping off of you by, with that then? Do you sure. think that it's better to work? If, if you had infinite money and infinite time, would you work to secure the internal network? and go with the defense in depth model of that? Or would you you pay to start zero trust and go that route? Which do you think is a, like infinite time, infinite money, infinite resources, oh, I'm, which I'm gonna, do you think you know, is the better option? I've, I've
0: spoken enough on this. Uh, I'll circle around. Anyone else have an opinion on that? Because. I got a little lost on the infinite time, infinite money thing. In yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking of all the products I could buy. I mean, the vendor yeah, right. list would just be insane, right? Like, I, I mean, I have five EDRs. They're going to stop so you're everything. Saying, With infinite time and infinite money, I could afford
1: dark trace. No, yeah. no
0: not that, not, no, not no, not that, that
1: far. We all it have still a has to work in your infrastructure.
0: <laughs> oh. <No. Yeah>. All <laughs> right. So, so, so I, I think it's a valid question. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go just, screw it all go to zero trust or try to lock everything down with vendors what do you what do you guys think i'm gonna pick on steve because he's new oh
4: well most of the places i've seen it's not been a blinky box you know like vendor issue it's been more of a personnel issue so i would say mm. investing the time and money into you know building up your teams and your defensive uh personnel is where but, i would put but, my but, money
1: it's that i'm saying defense in depth like having yeah, a, like, having, a having a three. perimeter, Steve's having a perimeter, having
0: internal. Yeah, Steve's uh, not he's... playing. Steve's not playing your game. He's not like, no. uh, like option <laughs> A,
4: option B, option A. Let's hard going I C, C. Yeah, yeah, he's going
0: with C's. But Steve, C. if you were in those boxes, and I know this is hard, right. uh, which way would you try to take your? your aptly trained and resourced team. Mm-hmm. If you had a team that you could have in place, which of those no, two I, things? You... I always
4: start with the basics and, and talk about cyber hygiene and start from there and work our way out. Um, if, you're not, if you're not good with the <laughs> basics, then why, why jump all the way in the deep end, right? You option gotta, D. Gotta, yeah. <laughs> option D. I bring all the options. <laughs>
0: See, I am I'm, I'm I think I'm older and jaded and I'm like, screw it, burn it all down. Let's go straight to like zero trust. I mean, everything's yeah. moving to the cloud anyway. Really? Active directory looks to me like it's more and more every year is just this hacker superhighway where there's things that are implemented in it. You're like, why was this put here? Is this like a, a capture the flag that Steam Balmer put in place for a pen testing companies? <sighs> the twenty year um, capture the flag. It's a 20 year CD. There we go. We need to tweet that out. Active Directory is a 20 year cap flag. the play. So that, that's my thing. But like I said, I'm, I'm jaded and I can't completely argue with Steve and saying, hey, you know, go back to basics because I think that that's true. But I, I just look at Active Directory as that ship is burning and sinking very quickly.
1: But I'm more and more on finding that the basics are changing underneath us right like like password security used to be very simple like have you know super complex password and you're good and now it's password lengths are way more important like and like having words and pass phrases longer is better right and so like the. The basics aren't always the basics. And, and we do a really horrible job as a, as a community in general of, of saying what those basics are. So I think that like back to the basics might be a little oversimplified. I'm not trying to pick Whoa. on you, I'm sure. just saying like it's- No, no, I,
0: I, think it, I, I think if we can apply those basics, especially to a cloud infrastructure, I think that that's good. But let's just use the password stuff. Rob, you and I have gotten into heated arguments or conversations or whatever about <laughs> passwords, right? And, and I, I, you know the one thing that I took away from that conversation was, one, you're smart. That, that, that's always something I take from that. But the other thing that I took from that conversation is if I'm arguing with you about multi-factor authentication and passwords, the rest of the industry is screwed, right? Like, you know, <laughs> we're arguing over SMS notifications and these things. I, I, I think that that basics, if you have no idea what we're arguing about, then the basics get really, really muddy. But I do believe that there's core things. I mean, you go back to ransomware, which is just called this the BHIS ransomware.
4: Podcast.
0: <laughs> if you go back to ransomware, almost all of the ransomware gigs that we've worked over the past two years, they fundamentally screwed up on a basic and fundamental. Password complexity was seven characters long in one organization. Another organization was using um, Windows Server 2008 boxes. Uh, and. and had been, of course, for years. And then you have other organizations that aren't patching vulnerabilities that are discovered on the outside of their environment. They're not using too I mean, time and time again, we're seeing organizations, they're not getting hacked by this latest cutting edge thing. They're getting hacked by the fundamental lack of adherence to the basics and fundamentals. So sure I mean, do
1: I, where do I find a list of basics?
0: Oh my God. List just bro. listen to this. Touche. To Played as a level's advocate, that's right? Like, no, that's good point. Well, uh, Rob, have you heard a little thing called the NIST 853?
4: <laughs> All you have to do yes, is. And read it's actually
1: a really great document if you sit down and read it.
0: If you read it, it's great. But uh, so many other people are like, "I ain't got time for this." I don't know. It, it's pretty scary stuff. So, Ryan, another story I'd like you to bring up. Could you please bring up ruthless attackers target Florida condo collapse victims? Oh, I don't God, really have seriously? a lot. Of- Yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this, but there's been some conversations about, oh, well, hackers aren't attacking hospitals and they aren't attacking critical infrastructure and all of those things. And, you know, you may have one group that likes to say that, but at the end of the day, like, you can't trust the goodwill of attackers to not to not be absolutely horrible human beings. This is just this is. Horrible, And I'd I, I like to put it up here just as a reminder of kind of what we're dealing with in this. And we can't lose sight of the fact that, the, that many of these attackers, like the vast majority of them, are just not good people.
3: So what I'm wondering about with this one is, where did they actually get the list of people who lived there and supposedly died? Are those public somewhere? Or did they, did they use other breach data that suggests people live there? So Max,
0: it's funny that you should mention that. If you actually have something like a TransUnion TRLO XP account or a clear account, not clear for TSA, but if you have these accounts for background checks, you can actually go to an address and then you can do a search on a person at that address or just that address. And then based on that address, you can then expand it out very quickly to who are the neighbors at that address and the other people that live at that location. So Mm -hmm. it's very, very easy to get that information. And I don't know, we got Steve and Ralph, you you guys are used to- money at the DMV. Well, yeah, go ahead.
4: Tax records are public and and things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, you can certainly Uh do some Um, digging and pull that out.
0: uh, Voter records. You can go to voter. A lot of states release their voter databases, like all the voters, and then kind of what their party affiliation is. And some of them, you can actually pull down address information as well. So this is another one of those- Things that's horrifying but there's a lot of data out there to tie that
2: there's like data lakes full of just this information out there it doesn't even take that long to find it regretfully with so many database breaches and large stuff i mean uh linkedin just got um scraped and it was like 500 million records you know and like a lot of that stuff is repeat and like could be just fake accounts and all this other stuff but there's a ton of data that got pushed out with that phone numbers addresses email just i mean just so much out there. So it, it's there.
1: And this one they're actually reading off the names of the victims right on the news broadcast making make it
0: easier for them. Just makes it worse and worse and worse. That was cheery. Let's move on. Um citizenlab.ca hooking uh Another mercenary spyware vendor comes into focus. So I, I like I like this story because years ago we had Hacky Team which, and R- was that served. Sorry. Um, this is citizenlab.ca, hooking. Citizen so if you go back to like Hacky Team and they had like our man search, you can kind of, the reason why I start with that story is Hacky Team was actually compromised and it was all leaked online, how they actually did it and all the things that were done. And um, yeah, that's not the one. Um, I know, I'm trying to find it, it by the tabs. But- <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to put it into chat. So you also have uh, products like FinFisher where you can buy malware as a service and all the way down to like Celebrate, where you have a vendor that has some vulnerabilities that they can take advantage of from the perspective of gaining access to things like iPhones and Android devices and things of that nature. Now, the reason why I, I want to bring this up and kind of get people's opinions on it is it definitely shows that there's a gradient of, I guess, security companies and their technical capabilities. And I would say like ethics. If we go back to like Finfisher, there was a bunch of really shady governments that had uh, access to malware. And they were, you know, these are, these are governments that are very oppressive. And the security company was actually selling licenses for malware so they could spy on their citizens and things like that. And in this particular one, this is an Israeli based company. And uh, they have all kinds of different vulnerabilities that they use to gain access to various devices. And it looks like they very much lean towards working with nation states. And many of these different vendors, they're very expensive. And they sit on zero days, and they use zero days, and they sell them to multiple different government agencies. And I guess kind of like my question to everybody is, you know, there's lines that I don't think we should cross, like, you know, hacking illegally. Okay, but that line is way the hell out there. When you start working with countries, where where should a pen test security company be drawing the line whenever it comes to gaining access to systems, whenever it comes to selling malware and exploits to different nation-state actors, and things like that? So what do you guys think about this as far as like the ethics of security companies?
1: Wow. Now wow. that got to be real quiet deep deep we should have, a, have should lots of opinions ethics, but i've been talking a lot so we should have like an ethics
2: review board right where you like you have to submit whether or not i'm just joking i don't know man yeah.
4: well there are some slim guidelines with that with like export controls and things like that where mm-hmm. it li- limits the things that you can send out of country but as far as ethics like directly and yes or no good or bad that's a tough one
0: I know that that's something we fight with all the time, you know, at BHIS, we'll have countries that will come to us and I'm not going to name specific countries, but they're like, we want you to help us find undesirable people in our country and criminals. And you find out that they're talking about people that would be just normal, everyday people that you'd hang out with in the United States. And, you know, we've made conscious decisions not to work with those different organizations. But is that different than, let's say, a pen test company working with like the NSA, DOD? You know, I I mean, it it gets complicated, right? Because, you know, you could say, the United States, you know, we end up killing people overseas and sometimes we end up killing innocent civilians. So is that morally better than working with some of these other organizations? I think it's something that Then the reason why I think this is key is as our industry continues to mature and as we get older and more graybeardy in this industry. These are some lines that I hope we at least have some conversations about before we end up crossing things that we really don't feel comfortable dealing with.
3: Yeah, I think with this kind of uh, called spy software in general, or specifically, mm-hmm. it comes down to the fact that if you're working with a government or you're selling it to a government that says we want to use it to catch terrorists, you almost have to kind of police this this country in its usage of your software because. You know, they might say we use it against terrorists, but then you find out uh, they think terrorists are or journalism is basically terrorism for them, and then you kind of need to keep keep an eye on what they're doing with your software, and uh, it's almost impossible to really draw the lines there. So, personally, I'm I'm not 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 a big fan of this kind of software, and I think if you're talking about a, a pen test vendor, you have a little bit more control over it, but in the end, even then, you're not 100% sure because I mean, you know, your your client might be might be able to, to trick you into doing something that, in the end, you think is not maybe wasn't the right thing to do. So very. So where honest.
1: where do you draw the line? There is is Microsoft selling Microsoft Windows to organizations okay. who do this. Is that against the ethic line? Like, what level of capability do you stop at? Right? Am I? Is selling word to the NSA, you know, against this ethics line is is selling, you know, a, a EDR system for detection or a log system for detection is like so would, oh, where so, where is this line? So Rob, I think
0: to. that's a great example. Let's say that you have a a country, you know, we could talk the access of vehicle. Let's say you're selling sim solutions to North Korea. That's defensive mm-hmm. software, is that crossing the line? I, 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 yeah, I think that that's questions that, that we kind of need to have. Otherwise you end up, just like Max was talking about, you end up finding yourself on a slippery slope. I think in this situation though, we're talking purely offensive software, right? You're talking implants and you're talking exploits. So it, it's a little bit different than Microsoft Word, but I still think that they're in that I same use,
1: category, right? I use Outlook for offense all the time.
0: Okay,
2: Touche. <laughs> um, yeah, but Microsoft didn't intend you to do that, though. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't like, sure. "Hey, man, well, buy this, and you can hack your, you know, you, you can get into other countries, right?" I like, mean,
1: there's sometimes where you you have to think that Microsoft thought this was offensive. I like, know power it's one big CTF. <laughs> yeah. Microsoft is one big CTF. One I get Twenty year
0: long CTF. <laughs> so, so, but but yeah, so I, I think that that you know, absolutely. I mean, and you could be working. For a quote-unquote good government, and then you can find out the stuff that you basically provided was being used for things that you just genuinely do not care for. And I've actually been part of that in a previous life, had situations where I found out some work that I did led to some deaths of some people. And granted, I wasn't there. I didn't pull the trigger, didn't hit enter on the keyboard, but mm-hmm. I was part of it. And just to be honest, that shit haunts you um so
1: okay so cobalt strike for instance right yeah uh, cobalt strike is being either sold to or or stolen by lots of different countries and criminals and and apt actors and stuff like that so do you think they should stop developing it stop selling it because it could be because it's used by so many bad guys or do you think that Mm -hmm. like where's where's that line in the sand right? I was just
4: going to say, I think that brings up your statement earlier about where's the line because they say that they do their due diligence right to vet people they're selling to, but what is that vetting is it's not very transparent. so do organizations that sell the other countries and sell products like that? does their process need to be transparent so that we can see that they're you know not selling to things like that uh, like North Korea and
0: from my own perspective, right the way i look at it in this some and please if you guys have a better way let me know if i'm talking with government person 1 right and they buy a technique or software or something that i've done in the past and they say that they're using it for tracking evil terrorists right or they say that they're using it to do an audit of their own internal organization i feel personally i've done some level of due diligence i know those organizations i know some of those people I've worked with them for a long time, so I feel relatively comfortable with that. If they end up taking that and then they end up using it in a horrible way or giving it to somebody and then it gets used in a horrible way, I don't want to say I completely wash my hands of it, but I can't spend all of my time worrying about it goes to this person and they might give it to this person, they might give it to this person, they might give it to this person because you'll go insane. If you want an example of that insanity, look up your shoes say, okay, I got these shoes, they're Nikes, they're Reeboks, whatever, where are they manufactured? And what are the conditions of the people that manufacture that? You're going to start losing your mind. Whenever you look at the screen on your, on your uh, phone and you start looking at the working conditions that people go through to get that screen, you start losing your mind. You look at the, we- the wedding ring that you've given to your significant other and the diamonds associated that, you know, there's all these different things that you can start freaking out over. But at some point, you've got to kind of take that one degree of separation, and you've at least got to take some level of ownership for that. But beyond that, it's almost impossible for a human being to handle that successfully. And I know that that's somewhat of a cop-out, but I have to have, for me personally at BHIS, I need to have some way that I can do this and be sane. So if I've worked with law enforcement in the past, and I've given them a technique for tracking evil people, like... I worked a gig where somebody was using it to track pedophiles in a pedophile ring, and then they turned around and they just started using that technique to just start tracking just general run-of-the-mill criminals that weren't at that level. Yeah, that made me really freaking uncomfortable, but I felt comfortable in my decision and giving it to that person for that initial first action that it was supposed to be used for. Everything after that, I say it's on the heads of the people that stole my stuff and started using it or selling it and doing those other things. So if you're looking at Mudge and Cobalt Strike, I am, I, I am pretty sure that Cobalt Strike isn't being sold to evil countries doing evil things. I am absolutely certain that it is being stolen from those places. But I would like to think that Mudge and his team, they've done the due diligence for their at least initial sales. And after that, I, I don't hold them accountable for it. So that's, that's my thing. And you feel free to poke holes in it. But it's just what I've had to do to be able to sleep at night.
1: So you're saying one degree of separation minimum, and, and at least knowing who you're working with, that's, that's kind of the, the line in the sand that you have for it? For me personally, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. And Mudge doesn't work there anymore. He doesn't work on Stripe. Oh, he doesn't? Well, they
0: sold mm. it to another he's, company.
1: Yeah. Secure AuthCorp, I think, right?
4: Help Systems, I think.
1: Help Systems. systems. Help you're right. systems. And he's
0: he out completely, though? I, think he's, yeah,
1: he's I think he's out completely,
0: yeah. Because yep. usually, whenever you sell, you usually have to stay in the good graces and work he, with the company for. Like he did years.
4: that. He did that. Yeah, absolutely. He's already got that done. Mm-hmm. He's got. He's got
1: the like good for life money, and he's oh, he's yeah. out. You know, like, <laughs> if, if anybody that's got
0: good for life, fu money, hats off to him. That dude. That dude was a, is a rock star and has been for a long time.
2: And on the topic of Cobalt Strike, though, it it, it was pretty much cloned and uh, it's being used by threat actors, not bought by, you know, going on their website and being like, hey, we need to use this for, our, you know, I'm pretty sure it's been compromised right. in that sense, right? Like the, there's Dude. copies of it floating around and they, they're sharing <laughs> out, you know, like, and it's,
0: that's why, <laughs> and that's why at BHIS were so big on just the open source community. Like, here's a tool, GCAT, here's a tool, you know when Marcello was here, you know, Silent Trinity, here's, uh, here's Mail Sniper. because then it's just like, here's the thing, it does this stuff, you should audit your own things, and it's a proof of concept, and we don't have to worry about, oh, my God, we sold it to this person who then
3: gave it to somebody else. Oh, right. So maybe um, one last point yeah, about that is, uh, yeah, Max. I think uh, this kind of spy software is a little bit different because um, both vendors mm-hmm. are actually... Keeping those, uh, you know, the zero days uh, that are being used for the software are usually, you know, secret. So they're not really, you know, making anybody more secure in that sense, unless you can count what's being done with the software as securing something. So I think that's also one more thing that needs to be taken into into account when you look at this kind of software.
0: See, now I, I think that that's an interesting approach, and we can actually abstract that to like other testing companies. There's a ton of companies out there that are trying to hoard as many zero days as they can for remote access. And I always feel uncomfortable with that. And the reason why I feel uncomfortable with that is let's say BHIS had a zero day and we could break into any company with that zero day. What the hell did we just prove? Um, What's the recommendation? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the recommendation is disconnect from the internet. And that's a personal thing. And And I've talked to other firms and some other really, really, really good friends of mine. They say, well, we use that to articulate a point and then what can happen after that. That's that's a problem. The other problem that I have with that is if you're in that game of starting to sell zero days, that is a very short game. So you you make money on that zero day for a short period of time, and then you're back on the treadmill trying to find another one again and again and again. And I think that that's that's like crack cocaine of the security industry. It's just not healthy.
1: Isn't that kind of an ethical thing as well? If you if you've got a zero day and you're holding on to it for that purpose for security testing, and then someone else comes along and discovers that same zero day, then aren't you kind of guilty by not reporting it to whoever to fix it in the first place?
0: Uh, You know what? I I don't know. I don't know. I know a lot of security researchers that just are sitting on zero days and then they forget that they have them. They're like squirrels burying nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I got to retire.
2: I got to cash this
0: one in. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I was talking to one security researcher. This was a long time ago. This is like nine, 10 years ago. And he was like, yeah, I was cleaning my, up my computer. And I realized I had, I had a, a zero day for a Telnet daemon on Linux systems that was unpatched <laughs> for like eight years. And, I completely forgot about it. And I'm like, how the hell do you forget about that? But, you know, just kind so, of. So
1: let, let me play the devil's advocate one more time. The, there is an, also a problem where, where if you find a zero day in a system and it's part of a pen test, that is sometimes, depending on your agreements, covered under NDA because it's a vulnerability mm-hmm. in that client system and mm-hmm. it's on them to report it i was in this situation where i found a zero day in an application i reported to the customer customer says we'll report it up to the vendor they never did it never went anywhere i still have it i'm still under that nda right. so all I can do is continue to try and use that vulnerability so it gets detected eventually by <laughs> someone <laughs> and that does and totally report
0: legitimate, it. totally legitimate, right? you
1: know, totally But I can't manual. do anything. I've been
2: scanning Shodan again. No, Shodan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> For me, I, I don't consider that to be too much of a problem. I, where I get concerned is whenever we share something with a vendor, and I'm just going to pick on Oracle. Because like, any time we do a pen test of something that's running Oracle-type software. It's like software, hitting a
1: baby, dude. It's not, it, not it, a it's
0: so <laughs> bad. They're so bad to work with, right? They're like, hey, I found this vulnerability. Here's a full packet capture. This is the string. Here's a you know step-by-step diagram of how this thing works in memory, and this is what it does. You should fix this. And they're like, thank you very much for submitting a bug to Oracle. Please submit additional details. Uh, and you do that like 9, 10 times, and then finally, they say it's not a vulnerability. And they just go back and forth, back and forth. But I, I think that you know kind of what you're talking about, Rob, if that's going through a customer, that's great. Just give it to the customer. Whenever you're working with the vendor directly, I am very much concerned, and this kind of goes back to what Dale was talking about of that time frame whenever we find something at BHIS and it doesn't get patched or it gets patched a long time in the future, if somebody else finds that same thing, the vendor picks up the phone and they call me. You know, they're like, you guys clearly released this. That is definitely a risk for security companies whenever you have those vulnerabilities. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people are such huge advocates of full disclosure, because you're not sitting on that as like, you know, this landmine that can go off at any time. You're basically like, "Ah, it's out there, go. And it (laughs) tends to get fixed within 48 hours in that situation. But I do think there is a risk, like in your situation, Rob, where you've shared it, if somebody else finds that exact same thing, they're gonna come knocking on your door because you're easy to get access to.
1: True. Luckily, it was like 10, 15 years ago and-
0: That doesn't make me feel better. Yeah,
1: it's, still, it's, it's <laughs> still not patched. 15 still years ago. Still not patched. Still not patched, oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh my God. Yep. has It's, been it's not a
0: that vulnerability, is it? No. I
2: mean, I just can't wait to read that disclosure timeline. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, 2011, this... submitted to member. <laughs>
1: So I, I am released by the NDA after uh, I think it's 20 years. So after 20 years, I will, <laughs> I will, I will, I will eventually be able to submit that book oh, to the oh vendor God. and say, hey, we, we've got to
0: have we got to have an epic retirement party for like everybody in our generation of the hackers where it's like, <laughs> screw it. We're old. We're retired. Here's all the crap we weren't able to talk about. We we're covered under NDA. What oh, are you gonna man, do? that you, was you gonna, awesome. You're going to sue us? Yep. <laughs> we're just a bunch of angry old dudes. You know, it's like, yeah.
1: Yes, 20-year NDA, that actually existed during my, That's a thing. Uh, my time, yeah. That's absolutely crazy.
0: <gasps> yeah.
1: Everyone's on all your right. LinkedIn
2: trying to figure it out. All right. Yeah, no,
0: we're going through a did of work 10 years ago. The next story uh, I want to talk about turns out a low-risk iOS Wi-Fi naming bug can hack iPhones remotely. I love um, this. So this is another format string vulnerabilities. This is the. Oh, that's my Wi-Fi name. It's the print app. It's the print app. You're evil. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me explain format strings to people a, a little bit. So really, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> oh no, I got what? this. <laughs> Steve's out. <laughs> I, I got this. This isn't. This isn't a thing. So whenever you're dealing with format string vulnerabilities, whenever you have like printf and snprintf, you can actually define and process the data that's coming in. The problem is if you do not define the format within printf or or snprintf, and it's actually covered under ANSI C89 is where they define how the printf function should be utilized. So I've had some people say that this is a conspiracy theory from back when they wrote C, and the DoD was like, we need a vulnerability to gain access to things that's really obscure. (laughs) But if you look at the ANSI C89 compiler standards, whenever it's checking your printf function, it's not actually validating that you've defined the format string properly, like as a string, like %s. So these vulnerabilities, they existed for quite a while. They're a little bit more difficult to exploit than a standard heap or like standard buffer overflow vulnerability. What generally works with a format string vulnerability is you put in a memory address location, like slash X, SN, uh, like, sorry, slash X, AFFF, B0, something like that. And then you do a percent D and a percent N. And basically what happens is it's going to write a number to a memory address location that's defined with with percent N. The problem is when percent N reads that memory address, it reads the memory address that you put in. So it allows you to write arbitrary numbers, and that means anything you want, with some restrictions. Like you can't do FF, 0 standard, things like that. But it allows you to write those to memory address locations. So these vulnerabilities, they've, they've existed for a really, really long time in the industry as a whole. Now, what's interesting is like Microsoft Windows, up until about four years ago, had a format string vulnerability in sort. You could do sort, percent, x, percent, x, percent, x, percent, x, percent, x and it would just puke memory address locations, which can be used to identify things like canaries in front of return pointers, and then you can basically utilize that vulnerability to leak information about memory, and then you can use that to exploit systems. This one's interesting because it's very similar to what we were talking about with fail-to-ban, where fail-to-ban was just receiving who is data without properly identifying it within the format string and then passing it along properly so it could be escaped. This one, you could literally name your hotspot with a format string vulnerability. And whenever iOS is reading the Wi-Fi names, they had an improperly coded printf vulnerability, where it would instead then start executing those different format commands, like percent %n means you're gonna write a memory address location, Percent %d, you're gonna print a number of decimals, and you can expand that with whatever number you want, percent s is just identifying it as a string, %x is dumping the next available memory address location. So when you put those in, the printf function literally reads that data that's coming in and does that %x, %d, %n, %s, %x, and it executes that. So this was a vulnerability, it was a low risk vulnerability. And I don't think Apple fixed it, did they? Like, it was a low-risk vulnerability, and now, all of a sudden, they have the ability to actually fully exploit that particular uh, format string vulnerability, which is the arc of format string vulnerabilities, by the way. Almost universally, everyone's like, well, that's hard. Um, I'm not smashing the stack. Low-risk vulnerability. And it's like, oh, dear God, the ability to write arbitrary data into memory is bad. Who knew if somebody would have only have told me that this was a problem 20 years ago? So, I think they did, did this- patch-
1: this one. Yeah,
0: sorry, this Go started
1: ahead. as this started as as a uh, tweet, right? When when the yeah. person posted mm-hmm. it saying, hey, one of the requirements was that you had to join. I think you had to actually join the access, the access point, point, the SSID, yeah. and you joined it and your Wi-Fi got disabled permanently. Like, yeah. just right. you <laughs> couldn't restart it. You couldn't like you couldn't join back. You couldn't like reset your machine or your your phone. It was just dead, dead, and you had to like wipe it and and go from scratch to to bring it back online. I don't remember who exactly the researcher was that found this um, and took it further to RSCE, but this thing started as a tweet, like coming coming from a, a standpoint of like you know security research where you're digging through you know miles and and bogs of code, right, to look <laughs> for stuff, and this is like on Twitter, hey, look at this, this is cool. And then someone who knows more about you know iOS says, "Hey, that's a crash, <laughs>
0: right?"
1: <laughs> that's that's what so, we look for, <laughs> and then gets paid lots of money for it. I hope that yeah, the right. person who tweeted that originally gets some of that. Well, endpoint.
0: and I, I, the and the kicker in that string is the percent n at the end, like that's the magic character because that's where you're actually going to write a value to a memory address location. Now the thing that kicks me is. I don't see in this attack where they're defining the memory address location. So it's almost as though that memory address location is already in memory and you're writing some horrible garbage to it. And then the fact that you can't just reboot your phone and it comes back, that's bad. Like, yeah. don't know what the hell's going on there.
2: Yeah, I think they were saying that they found it because they... No, I always wonder, like, where were they at this moment where they were like, you know, it'd be a good SSID name, right? Oh, um... you
1: you know all that happened. (laughs) Oh, come on. All All right, right. fair enough,
2: fair enough. It was a funny joke, and then they couldn't get their phone to work again. And then they tried it on something else, and that wouldn't work. And so that's when it kind of exploded from there, which is
1: pretty wild, right? I'm just just surprised that John's default, like, SSID isn't percent something, percent something, percent something. (laughs) Well, I could just see it. Like I, I like
0: what Ralph said. He, I could see him bricking his phone. And he's like, honey,
2: honey, honey, bring me your phone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> kids, kids, bring me your iPads, quick.
2: <laughs> you know, got to reproduce it. Uh, <laughs> your phone doesn't work anymore. <laughs>
0: God, dang it. Again with this. I got to so, take the kids out do right now. I wonder how many people on Twitter actually crashed their own crap. Oh, oh absolutely. Years
2: made it for their neighbors and they like never going to connect to it but they just wonder if somebody else might open wi fi
0: yeah yeah i I just yeah open wi fi and then people just join
2: (laughs) (laughs) ios done
0: oh my god just so good oh my god so uh, carl i like so he he posted this right vm underscore call posted the uh, vulnerability and then he said instead of plugging my only fans I highly recommend you check out our hacking blog at secret.club and its Twitter profile. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't plug his OnlyFans.
2: I, I uh I, I 3D printed my own Fan. It's a fan that has OnlyFans on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, you gotta show that at the next show. All right, I'll bring it Put good. that with your Billstein signature model rack mount behind you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> One of a kind. One of a kind.
0: All right. All right, so I do also want to talk about the Chinese new law that requires vendors to report zero-day bugs to the government. woo mm-hmm. wow. Yeah,
4: interesting. Keep it in I, the family.
0: Uh, so the actual law states this. No organization or individual may take advantage of network product security vulnerabilities uh, to engage in activities that endanger network security and shall not illegally collect, sell, or publish information on network product security vulnerabilities. But then it says you have to give it to us. That's right. Did they just did? I'm just checking. Did China just impose a a, a non-disclosure agreement across their entire population on security vulnerabilities?
3: 20 years. 20 years. years. (laughs)
1: years. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is how you crowdsource
2: vulnerabilities, right? Just without payment or anything like that. What
4: about the pwn to own tournaments and stuff like that, where people come from around the globe? And
0: Let's not forget, Steve. A lot of those really good hackers come from China.
4: Absolutely, yeah. So, are they just disqualified for now, or is that the thing? That if they if they go to one of those and they find something, they can't disclose it there. They have to <laughs> go back through the you country send to the disclose email five it. Five
0: minutes I could before just, your presentation. <laughs> yeah, I, I, could, I could just see someone walking into a room in Beijing and saying, "All right, sexy pandas." So DEF CON CTF is off this year. Aww. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the other teams around the world are like, hooray! hooray we this have, this have a chance. chance. <laughs> we have a chance. This is our year. I can it's feel this it. Is our year. God, the <laughs> year. It's the year of the dragon. <laughs> that's, that's the last one that I wanted to go through. Anybody else have any stories they wanted to talk about? There was yet another unpatched Windows principle or vulnerability. Um, oh, yeah.
2: The, the, what is it? Um, Mimicats, right?
4: Yeah, you create a you create a printer, and when you attach to it, it goes from user to system. So, like anybody can install a print driver or a printer, right? So,
0: so I was talking to somebody, and they're like, well, "Why exactly do operating systems have the capability for a user to run something that runs as system?" And I'm like, literally, like thinking, "Ping, ping does just <laughs> <laughs> like this happens all the time." And then there was somebody that posted on Twitter, like the attack service of a printer, like supporting SMB and FTP. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and I was just like, this is great. I mean, if printing's
2: already bad enough, especially if it doesn't work. So like, <laughs> we're going to make it a little bit worse. <laughs> so now not only is printing horrible, but also, you know, it's pretty much a vulnerability, whether you're escalating privileges, compromising the full system. I mean, I don't know, installing malicious drugs. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's great
1: good stuff why did they, they just keep picking
0: on printing which is fine because i want oh <laughs> well, no
2: because someone <laughs> found one someone found one and everyone's like oh there's gotta be more this one's too easy and yeah. here we go see all that
1: printing is why
2: john can't get lumber <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but i got internet now so
2: that's good i know yeah. you're looking you're looking very sharp today and everyone's oh. actually been commenting on new additions to your office space that they didn't mm. know until you got turned up with the high res. This
0: is this is funny because this is at our office in Spearfish, yep. which has always had high speed internet. I'm not even at home right now. <laughs> Perfect. So, whenever I'm in the basement and people are like, That's where he murders people, and that's when you know they'll be able to mm-hmm. see that in higher detail. They'll be able to see the brand of skis and things in the background. It's on I that from your it. network, placebo.
1: Network. Yeah, be able to see the the writing on the on the electrical wires in the in the rafters you... here. Yeah.
0: I like Steve's background though. Steve's got a good background, and Mac's background is like flawless. It's just beautiful as well. Gail, I'm not saying anything about you because you got a nice <laughs> background.
2: He's also not sorry.
4: <laughs> yeah, also though, though. sorry, not sorry. So, oh.
0: Steve, is that your gaming rig in the background where you take Ralph to
4: school? No, that's oh. actually that's actually my chia Fair. minor.
0: It's a so, chia miner, Ralph. Yeah, Ralph's mining <laughs>
4: Bitcoin. I'm mining chia. Okay, and then you got a
0: TARDIS. <laughs> it's a TARDIS that's actually smaller on the arts. Is that a TARDIS though? Uh, in your corner, uh, your
4: head.
0: It's not blue though. It looks like it's a, a police box.
4: No. Uh-uh. Oh, okay. Okay.
0: Well, that's mm. what I, I got that wrong. Got that wrong. So. Well, I, anybody have any other stories? Any other things to add? I'm just happy to be back. I'm not traveling. I'm not fighting with all kinds of different weird gigs, but it's just good to be back on the show.
4: I did see a news article this morning that was interesting that I I cannot find for the life of me now, but it was about an APT group that was using port knocking for their C2 server. So, like a specific set of NS lookups or ports being hit on their C2 server would then open it up for the C2 channel and then it would close itself back down. So, I was curious, has anybody used or Seen port knocking being used for command and control versus Steve? just accessing a system.
0: Steve, I'm I'm really old. Like <laughs> this is yeah. how he's
2: always done it. Like he is, just recently this is, moved
0: <laughs> this is this show is like my time. Like they're like format string vulnerabilities. Well, hell, let me talk about those. Port knocking, hell's to the yeah. I got to that. The, yeah. so Did you see format string? Yes. Yes, I have. Not in uh, the, not in the last decade. No, no not really
4: yet. Yeah. <laughs> what what, so pro- really what like protocol you're... was that over IPS or IPX, SPX, Port Knock? Yeah, it was.
0: <laughs> <bad design. laughs> it was all. Mine back then. That's what we used. You know, you're running Knock D. Um, yeah. but. Uh, Honestly, I'm just amazed and just want to say thank you to the hackers. <laughs> <laughs> and to all the other like 504 instructors at the Sands Institute that made me remove the 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 port knocking section from Sands 6 years ago. Fuck mm. <laughs> it. <laughs> you knew this day would come. You knew this day would come. You knew this day would come. It's my time to shine. I mean,
2: oh. okay, but let's think about this. Though, it, how much more i don't know covert is that from the uh uh, defensive side okay like scanning possibly these servers you're not gonna you know be able to discern possibly what it is Mm -hmm. but from the you know the the blue team side like how would that hide your traffic more and like this is going to be kind of a pretty slow communication i mean similar to how
0: Oh, no, 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 no. it's it's fast. Remember, the whole communication isn't over this. It's just opening up the back door and then shutting Mm -hmm. it down.
2: Sure, but I'm getting that process of, like, how often you do that. I mean, if you're doing that at, like, you know, an interval of 60 seconds, I mean, that's a lot of port knocking, right? Like, I think I might be able to get this, you know.
0: DCP IP three-way handshake is,
2: like, like three to four packets. I know, but how many knocks are you doing? Is it, like, you know, is it double knock, triple
4: knock? Well, they they were uh, uh, saying that they... They combine it's it miserable. with uh, DNS as well, so it would take, okay. a, co- take a combination yeah, yeah. Of, of different canaries to, yep. Yep. To, to turn it on. so But still, the oh. traffic's got to come out of the network, right? So yeah,
2: that, that's my thing. so it's still either HTTP or DNS or something like that,
0: or you know, but even with that, like don't you just feel like they're beating up on the blue teams just a little bit too hard at that point? Because most blue teams, like honestly, most organizations couldn't detect clear text protocols leaving their environment on port 4444. They just can't. And it's like, come yeah, on. I mean, I only
2: use Metasploit for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're, this.
0: You're well, being mean at that point. You're just showing off. You're a show-off. <laughs>
4: you're, you, right, either that or what does it say about their target, right? Their target audience. Either true. they're super sophisticated and they have to do all these crazy things to get around that or they're just mm-hmm. <laughs> beating a dead horse saying, yeah, look what I can do. <laughs>
0: Uh, that's. Yes. I, I'd almost lean to the second one. They're just, they're just showing off at that point. Sure. Yeah. They're like, "Hold my beer,
3: combat." <laughs> Maybe They'll it was never a project from me. a summer intern who programmed this. You know, at the the threat actor
0: Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That's probably true, Max. That's probably exactly what happened. They have like an intern, and they're like, "Which we have? Which what what we have Bob do?" Oh. Okay. <laughs> Have do write a port knock tool? Yeah, yeah he, he, he took, so.
2: he took, he took <laughs> that Sans class with John Strand a long time ago. <laughs> with
0: John like eight years ago. It's his time to shine. And, uh, and the intern's like, really? You want to? <laughs> <laughs> oh god. I, I thought I would be doing something with like JSON or NoSQL. No, no John, John only talked
2: about port knocking for some reason.
0: Did <laughs> so. I do something with Kubernetes? No, get back in your port knocking cubicle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, right. hey whatever uh, works you know whatever works that's whatever why. works yeah whatever works all
0: yeah. right let's wrap it up i gotta get going hey guys thank you so much for coming oh you want to, oh, want to do a shout out right yeah yeah Go the uh, the graphic here we've we've got an answer for uh, russia's ransomware gang problem this is a graphic that was, was made by discord user doug based on a stupid joke i made at one point on a newscast about a week ago. So we, we want to give Russia the rare program as a solution to their ransomware. game. This has to happen. And we need to turn that into a t-shirt. Like, this has to become a shirt.
2: Oh. Perfect. I can't wait. We can keep Russia off ransomware. There
0: we go. That's right. And by the way, can someone please invite Jeff McJunkin to come on? Because he's always oh, we'll showing up. And he's always <laughs> okay. providing comments. Just... Just get him on. I mean, get him on. Look at him on. Just get him on. Get him on next week, Jeff. Next week. It just... you know, if, if you ever want to find like obscure, weird crap, Jeff's your guy. <laughs> like that's your guy. Um, we're good to go. All right, let's let's take it out, Brian. Let's let's close it out. What do you mean you can't get lumber? So, yeah. so <laughs> don't you have trees two by, there? two by fours are two by fours were like. I um, have trees there. I do have trees there. <laughs> yeah. I think two by fours for a while were like thirteen, fourteen dollars, and then OSB particle board was one hundred and twenty dollars per sheet. So you can get it. It's just you need a mortgage. And no, that's all That's how much it costs. You would go to the lumber yard to pick it up, and they're like, it's all like twisted and broken up, and uh, there was none of it there. Construction is just off the charts right now. You have to harvest your own. Yeah, I have to harvest my own. And Erica, <laughs> like six years ago, wanted to buy a like a sawmill that you you know it's like you can pull it behind the vehicle. So I'm not living that shit down. So now it's just constant. <laughs> She's like, you know, we wouldn't have had this problem if we would have bought that sawmill.